Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to gracelife.church or on our YouTube channel. You can always find video content of all our messages as well as services for your preschool and elementary school kids. In the beginning, the Garden of Eden was God's intent, created out of His love towards us, the goodness of a good God. God created Adam and put him in a world where he would thrive. So why doesn't our world look like the original garden? Where did it go wrong? Join us for this six-week series as we explore the root of everything, good and bad. It can all be found in the garden. All right, hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? Yeah. So hey, we especially want to welcome those who are our first-time guests, whether they are in the room or online. If you would put your hands together and help me welcome them. We're so glad to have you guys worshiping with us today as well. All right, I got a quick announcement, then I'll do something fun. The quick announcement is this Saturday, right here in the building as well as online, we have what we're calling intentional living training. That sounds really boring and lame. So let me just kind of explain. Next weekend, we're kicking off our global outreach series. We've got a good friend of mine who will be sharing next Sunday morning uh, as well as Thursday. But since most of you appear to be the Sunday folks, what that means is you will miss what he's going to do on Saturday. And he's a really cool guy. He's really funny. Uh, You're going to have a great time with him. And and if you come here on Sunday, you're going to go, man, I wish I could have been a part of that. And, And what it's about is simply learning how to be a normal, not weird Christian who shares your life in a way that other people come to know Jesus. And he's got amazing stories of just inviting his neighbors to watch Survivor every Monday night with them until they get saved. It's just crazy. So listen, I'm just telling you, you won't want to miss that. So that will be Saturday morning. You do need to register. So if you're in the room, we have enough food for you. And if you're online, you know how to find the link. That would be very important. All right. Well, hey, if you do not know what's going on in the room at the moment, let me fill you in. This incredibly crazy crowd right here is... uh, Well, they speak for themselves, evidently. No need to introduce them, but anyway. Hey, here's what the cool part is. This is our uh, middle and junior high youth, and they have been doing what we call Ignite Weekend. It started Friday night, and uh, they've been here more hours than they have not. And so uh, all of our adults, I think, have had 45 minutes sleep since Thursday night. Is that about right? Uh, But first of all, I'd like to do something special. We actually do not have... Uh, any official full-time dedicated youth ministry staff. And that is the most amazing thing. If you ever watch what they do here on Wednesdays and, and like this weekend, uh, the, the team that we have, uh, most of which is just adults who are uh, loving teenagers, that's it, and they serve. I mean, they work like 50, 60 hours a week, and then they are always here uh, for this kind of thing. So first of all, uh, if we could get like Laura, Brandon, and Greg to stand up because these are uh, like our, wherever they are. Yeah, and and stay standing up. So these are our, like, Laura's got seven job descriptions here. Greg is our worship director and 10 other things as well. And Brandon is like a full-time director of operations for Chipotle and like every restaurant in South Carolina. And you somehow find time to be here working with the youth. But now, if you would, while you guys are standing, all of the adults who serve with the youth stand up as well. And those guys, come on. Awesome. 
just want to say thank you. You guys can sit back down. Listen, we, we sincerely believe in the next generation. Uh, we've got some exciting things planned. You're actually going to come in here one time next year, and they're going to lead the entire service and preach, and it's going to be so super cool. I'm going to be right there. That's the way it is. Uh, so anyway, I think we should just start reserving this section for the, the most excited people. For Yeah. Either that, or I'll just start preaching on Wednesday nights instead. I don't know. I mean, anyway, it's... Anyway, so hey, I, I will go ahead and tell you that uh, you, you are going to get a little extra this morning in this service um, that uh, will mean you'll get out maybe five minutes late. Hope you'll all forgive us, but you're at, we're having a lot of fun. And so what we want to do is show you what God has done here this weekend with and through these guys. So check it out on the screen, everybody. on the young. How many of you guys want to prove that wrong as you grow up? Come on, any of you guys? Do not ever forget God made you. He put something in you to change the world, and he did not say you can't use that until you're 21. Because sadly, by the time you reach 21, you don't care about it most of the time, right? And that's why I get to preach to them every week. I'm trying to wake them up back to what they used to feel when they were right here. So there you go. Y'all just pretend I didn't say that about you. Anyway, Hey, uh, y'all got a problem back there. They started my sermon timer. Uh-uh, y'all start my time back over because I am just now starting to preach, just so you know. All right, hey, everybody, uh, especially if this is your first time uh, here, we are in a series we've been doing called In the Garden, as you can tell back there. And uh, today's the last day. It's the last part of it. It's part six. 
So if you've missed any of it, the good news is it is all online and on our app. You can go back and get any of that. Uh, But we began this series with talking about what God intended uh, for us in the garden. Today we're going to close it out by talking about what God did for our good in the garden. Because we've spent the four weeks in between talking about everything we messed up in the garden. And so uh, today, uh, we're going to kind of have a part two of last week. Last week was about what mankind did in his response to sin. And today, we're going to talk about God's response to sin. And I want everybody to think for a minute. I I wish we could have done this where we put like a sheet of paper and a box of crayons on every chair. Uh, And if you're online at home, you can just do this for yourself. But I wish that everybody could actually draw a picture for me. And, And I'd like for you to think about at that moment, what would you draw God to look like, right? I mean, here is God being really nice. He creates the Garden of Eden. He creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden. He says, you can have absolutely everything except the one tree, everything but. And everything, by the way, was just created by God, never messed up, so it was pretty stinking awesome. And so now at this moment, though, mankind sins and rebels. They listen to the devil, not him. Can you imagine what God looks like, right? Most of us have an image in our mind. And if you know the story, then you know God shows up, he curses them, and then he kicks them out of the garden. Do you kind of know how that story goes? So imagine, what would you draw God looking like at this point in time? How many people grew up in a household where you heard the saying, you just wait till your father gets home? Come on, anybody right here? You just, some of y'all still growing up there, right? Now, yeah, uh, that, that was my house growing up. Because see, every single one of us has a mercy parent and an enforcer parent. And the mercy parent was my mom. She's actually right over there. She's as sweet today as she was when I was growing up. But my dad was the enforcer, so it was like, you just wait till your father gets home. And I I just hoped that uh, something would be forgotten by the time he got home. Come on, y'all know you're just like, God, please let him forget. Anyway, here's the point. Most of us think that that's God when he shows up in the garden. He's showing up as the enforcer parent to scold his children and then tell them how they're going to be grounded for the rest of human history. And, And that's the idea we have. I want to blow your mind today with what God was doing that was good. Maybe you, you've got the idea when, you, when your father gets home, you're going to get like the worst whatever it is that you get, you know? I'm not going to use that word. And, and, you just, and, and your, your dad does something that absolutely blows your mind. I think that's what God does for us. And uh, so I want to show you that as we get into this today. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to be in about the middle of chapter 3 of Genesis, and we're going to finish the story. We've been looking at the same part of the story uh, quite often. And so as we go through that, we're going to actually start in verse 16. And uh, we are going to finish all of chapter 3 today, but we're going to do it a little bit out of order. So you'll be able to follow along either on the screen or in your Bibles as we go. And uh, we're going to see two things. God's response to sin includes two things. Number one, is, is what he is going to do to fix it, but also what it's going to cost. And, and so look, I just want to go ahead and talk about this, especially young people, because everybody else has lived long enough to learn some really hard lessons, and, and you're probably at the age you're starting to learn some of those hard lessons. Uh, but we like to have this idea about God that, well, God is love, and all you need is love. That's what the Beatles said, by the way, all you need is love. They were pretty cool, uh, musically speaking, but they were wrong about that, just for the record. We, we need more than love. Matter of fact, what we see in our world today is that love didn't do all that we hoped it would do, and so we're crying out for justice, right? And, and here's the thing, though. God is a God of justice just as much as he's a God of love. God is more than just one thing. We could actually do a very big series on God's nature, and he is all of himself all the time. And so we get the idea, well, God is love, and I'm forgiven so I can get away with everything. And I'm just here to tell you today, you won't get away with anything. 
because God is a just God. And you would actually hate this living in this world if God was not a God of justice. So here's the point. There is a cost to sin. I'm not gonna stand up here and lie to you. It is easy to preach every Sunday. God loves you. It has a wonderful plan for your life. And you're like, oh, I love that church. Let me bring a friend back. And it, is, it does not do as well when I say there's gonna be a cost to your sin. Bring a friend back. No, I ain't bringing a friend to that. You ain't gonna tell somebody. No. So I just gotta tell you, this is the truth. And today we are going to see that there is a cost to sin. And so here's where we are jumping into the story. Um, for those of you who are here for the first time, God made Adam and Eve. He created a special place for them to live known as the Garden of Eden. He put them in the garden. He said they can eat of every tree in the garden except for one. They can't touch the one. Unfortunately, the devil comes and speaks through a snake. He deceives Eve. Adam watches. Adam does nothing to help. And then they both eat of the fruit. Adam blames her. Adam blames God. She blames the devil. And that is where we left off in the story. We are picking up right after Adam said, it's her fault and it's your fault because you gave her to me. And she says, it's the devil's fault. And this is what happens in the story. Chapter 16 or chapter three, verse 16. God begins to tell us what it's gonna cost. So he turns to the woman and he says, look, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and in pain you shall bring forth children. And it sounds incredibly vindictive. Well, you disobeyed me. I'm gonna make your life really miserable and hurtful. But, but you need to understand what God is really doing at this point. He's saying, look, I told you to be fruitful and multiply and there's only one way that works. You can't multiply if you don't have more children. And every time you have a child, I want you to remember that my children chose their way over mine. And it cost them dearly, and it hurt, because my way is better. My way was to bless them. They would have had all of this forever. They would have been blessed. And every time you have a child, I want you to have the memory of the pain that I experienced as the parent, looking at my children choose something completely different. And so I want you to, I want you to be aware of what mankind has lost every time you have a child so that hopefully you will raise that child to know that I am your God and there is a better way. I bet you didn't read the story like that, did you? And unfortunately, the next part is not so much fun because he goes on talking to the woman. He says, and your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And uh, normally this is my favorite version of the Bible to preach out of, but this one sentence, I don't think that they translated in the best way because after that, your desire will be for your husband. Oh, good, date night. No, <laughs> that's not what it means. Um, actually, most other versions translate this says that your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. And what God is announcing at this point is, look, I, I made a beautiful thing here. If you go back a chapter, he says that he made uh, man and woman and that they were naked and not ashamed and they shall leave their father and mother and they shall become one. And it was meant to be easy and great. Marriage was meant to be like all of you can't wait to grow up and find like the perfect person and get married because it's just gonna be absolutely bliss. You're never gonna argue, you're never gonna fight and it's just gonna be amazing, right? And then everybody sitting over there, they're ready to laugh right now, you know? That's just because what everybody over there knows is that from that point in history forward, this beautiful complementary relationship that God built in marriage is gonna be a struggle. What God is saying is, look, from now on, there is gonna be a struggle for leadership and for trust and for vulnerability in marriage. And you're gonna to have to fight for it. And every married person in the room knows that you have to fight for it ever since. So now he turns to the man. Verse 17 to 19, and Adam, uh, to Adam he said, look, well, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, and I just wanna pause right there because there are way too many men that come to my office and I have to slap them. 
just, just being honest, because they read this verse, and they're like, well, that's why I don't listen to my wife. Uh-uh, that is not what that verse means. It is not that they were wrong listening to their wife. It is that they listened to their wife over the voice of God. Well, some of the biggest mistakes men make is when they don't listen to their wives. God gave you someone to help you. God gave wives someone to help them. God gave us each other to help us. The problem here is that he chose a voice over God's voice. It's, it's not saying don't listen to your wives. All right, that was your mini sermon to all the men. And so here's what he told him. He said, look, um, cursed is going to be the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the day of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because you will. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. He announces two costs to sin to mankind. The first one is that life that was supposed to be easy is now going to be difficult. Now, you're literally going to have to sweat to work. It's going to be hard, hard work. Used to, all you had to do was kind of hang out in the garden, do a little pruning, you know, spray a little water on the orchids, something like that. It was going to be beautiful. Now, you are literally going to be out there in 98-degree days with humidity in August like Columbia, South Carolina. Like, that's what he's telling Adam. You are going to break a sweat if you want to eat. And although most of us are not farmers today and we don't grow crops we have to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week in order to have enough to live in our world. I mean, it, it's a challenge and it's difficult and it's hard. The second thing that he told mankind right here, and this is big, you're gonna have to die. One of the costs for your sin is you'll have to die on this earth. You, you will pay a price and that price is you will die a physical death, as well as a spiritual death, but we've already talked about that in the series. You will die a physical death. Now, that sounds like the worst news that God gave, but that actually is some of the best news that God gives in this moment. Do you believe that? You're nodding your heads, but everybody nodding their head, I dare you to come up here and explain it. Really? But this is cool. Just watch. Hang on to this because truly, God saying you're going to have to die is one of the best things he ever did. Unless you leave early and go to the bathroom, you're going to miss out on that one. All right, so now let's back up to verse 14 because God turns to the snake. And here's what he says. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat of it all the days of your life. You know what's really cool if you didn't realize it? Serpents had legs up until this point. And part of the punishment is they don't anymore, and that's true. And here's what's really funny. I mean, like, I went to Bible college, you know, and, and I, I, like, that's how I get trained to do this sort of stuff. And we've got an entire team of adults and, and staff that help us create that video, and we even had to hire a professional because we don't do cartoons really well here in the house. And the first Sunday this thing plays, my 13-year-old son comes home and goes, that serpent's supposed to have snakes, Dad. I mean, legs, legs, legs. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, got too many things going on in my head. And I'm like, Seriously? Try to get out of that thinking for a minute. I say, um, they were up in the tree. You just didn't see them. There you go. That's how I got out of that. And so at this point, what, what God is telling them is like, look, it's going to cost you. Unfortunately, you're not going to get to walk anymore. You are going to slither. You're going to be in the dust all the rest of your life. And as you think about this, you can just imagine the devil is like, who cares? Seriously? I mean, you do realize I'm not even him, and he's not me. I'm just working through him, so that's not really a big punishment. I can leave him and work through something else, maybe even someone else for the rest of history. Matter of fact, before it's all said and done, I bet history is going to say I masquerade as an angel of light. I'm not worried about this no-legged thing going on over here. 
Don't miss this, especially these people. Don't miss this. The serpent is not the devil. The devil is not the serpent. The serpent is just a mouthpiece for the devil. The devil is just working through him at the moment. And so you would think the serpent gets off. You would think his excuse is, hey, don't blame me. I'm just a snake. It's not my fault. Give me my legs back. But here's the problem. Partnering with the enemy, allowing the enemy to work through you and be a mouthpiece for him will cost you. And so this is really important because especially with the the things we say and the things we do, like gossip, we're talking about someone behind their back and it's not for their good and we're tearing them down or or we we do it on on the uh, social media and whatever we're doing, we tear someone down. We've just become a mouthpiece for the enemy. We we slander people, we attack people. And and here's another one that this is for everybody in the room because we all do this, is we give advice that would agree with the devil and not with God. Right, because someone says, well, you know, this is what's going on in my life. What do you think I should do about this? And we say something you won't find in here. You know, maybe if you're out there in that part of the room, you say something like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't think you should fight for that marriage too much. Your spouse sounds like a jerk. You should just leave me. I don't know. Is that what God would say in there? Because I I haven't found that. And, And maybe right here in this part of the room, we'd say something like, oh, don't worry. Your mom will never know. Hey, it's not a big deal. Come on. You can even tell your mom you're at my house. I'll help cover for you. Let's go do it. And by the way, everybody's doing it. And the next thing you know, you just found yourself being a mouthpiece for the devil. He was just a snake. And yet it cost him too. And so this is where we get to turn to the cool part of the story because God has been telling everybody what it's going to cost. And now he turns and he begins to say how he's going to fix it. But this first one that we're going to read is both. Because he's going to keep talking to the snake, except he's not really talking to the snake. Now he's going to talk to the one in the snake. And he's going to tell him what it's going to cost by telling him how he's going to fix it. And that is the coolest overlap you'll ever see. So here we go, everybody. We're now in verse 15, chapter 3. And it says, I will put, he's talking to the snake, but not really. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Because does anybody here know what the word enmity is? That's not a fancy Bible word, by the way. That is an English word. And every time I've ever done this, I got one, okay? Usually, and I've done this for like 10 years. And I've had like two people in 10 years be able to tell me what enmity is. Enmity is the greatest hatred of all hatreds. And the reason you don't know the word is because when you were about this age and you were in middle school and you came home and you threw your book back down and you go, I hate my math teacher and your mother went, don't say you hate somebody. God doesn't like if we hate somebody. They would never let us have the ammunition of the word enmity. I mean, just imagine. They don't want us to use the word hate. They're not about to teach us like hate on steroids. We're not even allowed to know the word. There you go. All right, when you go take your SATs and enmities on there, you're going to go, thank God I went to church, you know, because you're going to get into a better college just because of this sermon. All right, there you go. And and so God is is saying to the snake, but again, not really. He's saying to the one in the snake, I'm going to put the greatest hatred of all hatred between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And that explains a whole lot of what we live in this world today. Because those who follow after the ways of the devil, the offspring of him, And those who follow after the children of God, which is what Adam and Eve represented at this point in time, there's going to be a hatred. 
There's going to be a difference of, of values. There's going to be a difference of way they see the world. And by hatred, I don't mean we don't love and we don't like them and we don't want to see them come into the kingdom. And it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy coffee with a coworker. But what it means is there's going to be something automatically, diametrically opposed for the rest of humanity between the offspring of the devil and the offspring of the children of God. But this is the cool part that he finishes. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The first thing that God is telling us right here, I need everybody to catch this, because I grew up going to church, and I thought God was just having a really hard time keeping up with humanity. I thought God was really confused, and true story, one time as a youth pastor, I preached, God is so amazing that he can keep up with us. He's on plan triple Z, like every time we do something stupid, but God just moves right along and he can keep up and just do it. That's how amazing God is. And it was a really cool sermon and all the youth were excited about it, but it was total heresy. Because here's the truth. God is on plan A. God is on plan A. He's never changed plan A. Because, and I'm gonna prove it to you because God told us right then in the garden, before Adam and Eve left the garden, he told them how it was gonna end. He told the devil how it was gonna end. The truth is, I don't think any of them understood what he was saying to them at this moment. But he's saying, look, because this was the good news. He's saying, you just lost it all. You messed it up, you broke everything. But I've got this, I've got this. That's, that's why the prophet Isaiah, God spoke through Isaiah and said, look, I make known the end from the beginning. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, I tell you what is still to come, and I tell you my purpose will stand, I will do all that I please. Too many of us think, okay, God made Adam and Eve, he put them in the garden, that was plan A, they sinned, he kicks them out of the garden, now we're on to plan B, woo, this will be good, okay? Oh, unfortunately, mankind sinned again, so God sends a flood, wipes out all the people on the earth, okay, we'll fix it again. New people, plan C, here we go. Matter of fact, now we're just gonna have his own people, the nation of Israel, we're gonna have, have God's people, and uh, but now they sin, so we're gonna send them down to Egypt and slavery, oh, plan B. Okay, but we're gonna rescue them out of slavery and send them into the promised land. Now we're on plan E. I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about? Is anybody familiar with all these stories in the Bible, and then it just keeps going until God gets so frustrated, he just goes, Jesus, I don't know what to do. And Jesus goes, okay, I'll go down there and fix it. And we think we're like on plan triple Z. But he's not. Because he told him in the very beginning, and the minute that everything went wrong, before Adam and Eve left the garden, he says, here's what's going to happen. And he looks at the serpent, but not the serpent. He looks at the one in the serpent, and he says, I'm going to put the greatest hatred of all hatred between you and your offspring and between her and her offspring. And actually, she's going to have an offspring who's going to crush your head. In, in theology world, there's a big fancy word for this, proto-evangelion, the first time that we hear of the gospel. The gospel was announced right here. And Adam and Eve, I can just imagine them standing going, what in the world does that mean? And the devil is thinking, I don't think you can do that because you are a just God. And a just God set up the rules, and I was just following the rules. You gave everything to them. They lost it. They sinned. There is absolutely no way you can change this. You cannot get it back. There is no way. I think everybody at that moment has no clue. God has told us. We have the privilege of looking backwards thousands of years to go, look how cool it was what God was doing. I imagine Adam and Eve and the devil are all like, you understand that? I don't know. You understand? I don't know. Well, I ain't gonna ask you. You lied last time you talked. I don't know. You know what I mean? There's all look at these. are like, what in the world is going on? Here's the question. Who is the offspring of a woman that's going to do this? Jesus. Who's the offspring of a woman that's gonna do this? Jesus. We already said that one. Who's the other offspring of a woman? Us. 
See, here's what's so cool. How does the offspring of woman crush his head and how does he strike the heel? He struck the heel of Jesus on the cross because Jesus did go to the cross and Jesus died. How did Jesus crush his head? Because <laughs> he didn't stay dead. That is the coolest news, but it's not Easter, so I got to move on. Listen, here's the thing. The other offspring of woman, us. You've just got to understand how good your God is. You've got to understand how much he loves you. Adam and Eve sinned. They did everything wrong. They've rebelled against a perfect creator, and God looks at them at this moment before they even leave the garden and say, yeah, you messed up. Yeah, you did it all wrong. But I'm not done with you. I'm actually going to use you to fix it all. This, I told you the root of everything is in the garden. This is the root of the church right here because the church says that we are the body of Christ. He's the head, we are the body. Let me ask you a question. If this is just as logical as it gets, if you are gonna stomp on the head of a snake, what are you gonna do it with? Part of the body, the foot. Matter of fact, the Bible even says of you and me that the God of peace will soon crush Satan beneath our feet. Why? Because Jesus is the head crushing Satan. We're the body. What he did on the cross, he's doing through us for the rest of history until we see Jesus walking on this earth again. And that'll give you a reason to get out of bed and go to school knowing that you're going to make a difference because he's doing it through us. Now, this is for free. Also means you might have to suffer a little bit. That's why Jesus said, look, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Because think about it. If Jesus is the head and we're the body, and the serpent is gonna strike the hill. That means you and I, every now and then, we're gonna get a little snake bite. That's what that means about, well, I trusted my friend and they betrayed me. I can't believe that would happen. I can't believe God would let me get hurt. No, God told you right here, you're gonna get hurt as a part of the spiritual warfare to take down the devil. Be a good soldier. A good soldier knows I might get shot. A good soldier doesn't start complaining about the army the second they get shot. I can't believe they put me out here in this uniform. No, 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 they knew. They knew. They might call for a medic. They might call, hey, bandage me up. I got more to do. But they don't start complaining about what just happened to them. And you need to understand, God told you right now, if you want to be a part of taking down the devil, he might strike at your heel. There might be some suffering you go through. There might be some things that happen on earth. Don't, don't be surprised. Don't think that I'm not a good God. Don't think I'm not on my throne. And don't think I don't know how it's gonna end. I told you how it was gonna end before they ever left the garden. Just hold on. <laughs> and so the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. I don't know about you, but I just wonder how like, the, why is that in that part of the story? Like when I read the Bible, that's the funniest thing to me. Like seriously, you couldn't have told us her name like a chapter ago when she was made. <laughs> just sudden random thing. Oh, and by the way, before you leave the garden, we do need you to know she has a name. All right, I just thought it was funny. Anyway, so let's go on because this is cool. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and he clothed them. You know, just a minute ago when I told you this whole hatred between man and woman, it wasn't because he was a snake. It's not about a snake. And this right here isn't about better clothes. Have you ever read this story and you think, oh, look how nice God is. He knew the leaves would fall apart soon. He loves them so much, he wanted them to have better clothes that have a greater warranty. And that's the way people read the story. I've actually heard people preach about God loving them so much, he wanted them to have better clothes. This is not about better clothes. Have you ever, you ever been to church at Easter? If you've been to church at Easter, you've heard some words. Matter of fact, if you've been to church any period of time, you've heard some words that apply to Jesus. And maybe you've been a little confused because one, one year at Easter, they, they do a whole big theme and they put words on the stage, Redeemer. And we talk about Jesus is the Redeemer. 
And you come back a couple months later and, and they're talking about how Jesus is a sacrifice. And you're like, what? I thought he was the redeemer. And then you come back another time and they use a big Bible word. You don't even know what that one means. They're like atonement. Jesus is the atonement. You're like, wait a minute, what is Jesus? I'm so confused about what he is. The truth is these all of them, they all showed up right here in the garden. God showed us a picture of it all. These three words are so important that I, I'm gonna read to you one, one passage about Jesus that is spoken thousands of years later. It comes out of Romans 3. And it says, this righteousness, which is just being right with God, this, this being right with God is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Somebody say amen to that. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Because God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And, and these are important because God gave us every one of them in the garden. Started with atonement. See what that means, and we use this word outside of church, by the way, atone means to pay for your sins. You might even see it in a TV show. You might hear it in a courtroom. What are you going to do to atone for your wrongs, for what you've done? Atone simply means paying for your sins. Well, what we've already learned in the series, the only way you can pay for your sins is with blood. The reason for that is because life is in the blood and sin brought death. So life has to be traded for blood. And so something has to pay for your sins. Jesus was the one that chose to pay for our sins. He is the atonement to pay for our sins. Well, that leads to the next step. How does someone trade their blood and their life unless they are the sacrifice. For someone to atone and to give their life and their blood, there has to be a sacrifice. So Jesus was the one who said, I will be their sacrifice. I will be the one that dies in their place and my blood and my life will pay for their sins. And then the third word, redeemer, is to buy back. You see, Adam and Eve had sinned. They were legally now prisoners in the kingdom of darkness. They now belong under the authority of the enemy, and every one of us is born in that fallen nature. That's why the Bible says that we are rescued from the kingdom of darkness to be brought into the kingdom of his son. Nowhere else, just those two. Where we start, hopefully, is where we end. And so someone has to buy you back. It, it, someone has to go and pay the price to set you free. It's called a ransom. You ever watched one of those kidnap movies or something and it's really intense at the moment where you're trying to figure out if, if this person's gonna live or if the bad guys are really gonna shoot them and if the parents are gonna come up with enough money to be able to pay them back and are they really, even if they give them the $10 million, are they actually gonna give the kid back or are they gonna just take the money and kill them anyway? You ever, you ever been in that moment? Well, that's where history was. That's, humanity was at that moment of like, how in the world can we pay a price so high to get back all of humanity that's been lost? In all of creation, it's been lost. And who, if they had something that significant, would give it up? And the price was the life of Jesus. And your Father in heaven, who loves you that much, was willing to pay that price. And so Jesus became the ransom. Because he was the ransom, he's our redeemer. Because he was our sacrifice, who atoned for our sins. And every single piece of what Jesus is going to do for us is right there in the garden. And the cool part, some theologians, I happen to be one of them as well, uh, I'm not a theologian, I'm a pastor, uh, who agrees with them, believes that not only was God showing us what he was gonna do, but in love, he did it right there in the garden for Adam and Eve. That is, he took this animal and he took its life and its blood was shed. It wasn't about giving Adam and Eve better clothes. The better clothes were just the extra. He atoned for their sins. This animal was the sacrifice. And at that very moment, Adam and Eve, their sin of eating the fruit had been dealt with. And finally, 
Then the Lord God said, well, behold, man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, be a problem. Now he might reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which it was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Once again, when you read this story, most people think this is an angry, mean God. Well, I gave you this beautiful garden and you didn't take care of it and you ate of the wrong fruit. So I'm just gonna kick you out and you're just gonna be miserable out there on the rest of that hot and sandy earth. It was the Middle East, by the way. That's not what he was doing. I need you to hear me on this. What God was doing was saying, they have become like us in knowing good and evil. If you've been here for this part of the series, we talked about what they now have is knowledge. They have knowledge of good and evil, but their knowledge is from a bad experience. We use two analogies in this series. The first one is of a team that just lost the championship. They just lost everything. And so the only perspective they have at this moment is loss. They're crying. It's broken. The championship, someone else is over here with the trophy going, yeah, look at us, Super Bowl. We win the Super Bowl. You're over here on the other side saying the entire season is over. Except Adam and Eve doesn't have a next season. They have nothing. So for them, it was a one-shot win all and they lost. And it's all they know. We have lost. We used another analogy, and that is like of a doctor and a patient. Because God had knowledge of good and evil, he's the doctor. A patient can have knowledge of health and sickness. They are the patient. Problem is, their knowledge comes through sickness only. And so at this point, God is saying, look, you, you know loss. You still feel the pain. I imagine Adam and Eve are probably crying. First human tears. You know what it's like to be sick. You used to be healthy, but now you know what it's like to be sick. So, so here's the problem. In this garden, there's also a tree of life. If you take of it, you'll live forever. Problem is, if you live forever like this, you'll be miserable. I love you too much as my children to let you live an eternal life loss. I love you too much to let you spend your entire life knowing what it is like to be sick. Remember earlier in the message, I told you one of the most gracious things God would do for us is to say, you will have to die and return to dust on this life, on this earth, in this life. This is why it was so good. Because God is saying, look, if I let you live forever like this, you will suffer forever. So here's the thing. I've got something better. I've got what I planned for you in the first place. I'm going to give you a glorified body. I'm going to give you a glorified soul. I am going to redeem you. I'm going to pay for your sins. I'm going to bring you to live with me in a perfect place that is not corrupt. It is going to be everything it was meant to be. The only problem is to get from here to there. You will have to die. But the good news is you will not stay dead because really that death is only an entrance into real life. Jesus even called it that when he preached. He said, look, in order to enter life, and so here's the thing is if you, you want this beautiful thing of me putting it back and not leaving you broken forever, you're gonna have to die, but it's a momentary death and I'm just gonna need you to trust me because every one of you is gonna go through it and you're gonna have a tendency as humans to get really caught up in, oh my gosh, someone is dead and they died at this young age and I don't know how I can trust God again because such a bad thing happened and God's saying, no, it's not a bad thing because what I'm actually doing, whether it happens at 16 or it happens at 95, is I'm redeeming you from living a life of loss. 
and sickness, and I'm moving you back to what I intended being glorified and whole and with me. Can you trust me? Can you trust me? Because I'm going to tell you as a pastor, there are very few things that make people walk away from their faith than when somebody dies on earth and they didn't think God was good. And the truth is, it's the best thing he's ever done. If you and I got what we wanted, we would live our worst days forever. Do you really want that? No. I've entitled this message today, But God. Two of my favorite words in all of the Bible comes out of Ephesians that kind of summarizes the whole story. Paul explains for a couple of verses, mankind sin, mankind lost it all, mankind can't do anything. And then he says, but God. You can't fix it, but God. And then he goes on in the next verse to tell us all about Jesus. Check this out right here. But God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he's loved us, as he demonstrated all throughout the garden in every moment, every time you thought he was angry and he was just fussing, he was actually doing something loving every single moment. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, our sins, even when we were trapped and we had broken everything, he made us alive together with Christ. I'm going to close with this. Do you remember your best but God moments? For some of you right here, your best but God moments have yet to come. It's the story of when a doctor says, we have no answer. Get your things in order. But God completely rid your body of cancer. It's of when just amazing things that look bad actually turn out good. Had a friend of mine recently was in a really bad head-on collision. And that looked really bad. God took care of their family. Blessed. It was amazing. But in the midst of that, as they did body scans at the ER to make sure that he was okay, they actually came across something that they would have never found until it was too late. But God, are you with me? Maybe it's that relationship that you thought just could never work. And you were looking at, at, at an end, but God. Maybe the devil's telling you that, that there's no point for your life, there's nothing that God could ever, but God. I'm telling you the two best words are when you are having this day of everything is broken, everything is lost, there's no way to fix it, there's absolutely nothing I could do, I have reached my end, but it is not his. He says, I've got a new beginning right here. You may have messed it up. You may have lost it. Look, we've all made mistakes, and we will all make mistakes. Some of you, your biggest mistakes, I mean, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to speak now. I'm just telling you, you're too young to have made your biggest mistakes. Things are coming. And what's going to happen on one of those really bad days is the devil's going to come and say, look, it is over. And I want you to remember these two words, and I want you to look up to heaven and go, but God, I've made a mess. I don't know what the mess will be. We've all made messes all across this room, and they've all been very, very different. And we're sitting here today because, but God, but God loved us too much in the garden, and 
every day since. But God, let me pray for us. God, you are truly amazing. You're truly amazing. I mean, we did everything wrong. We ignored what you wanted for us. We trashed your plans. We corrupted the world you made. You said do, and we didn't. You said don't, and we did. We, we just, everything got, and then you looked down and said, here's what I'm gonna do because I love you, and you fixed it all. God, you're amazing, and today we just stand here and say we thank you. God, my prayer for every person in this room is when they are having one of their worst days, when they've reached what they believe is an end, they'll remember, but God, I think one of the most important things we can learn about the garden. But God, you didn't, you didn't leave us. You didn't let the enemy win. But God. So my prayer, God, for everyone in this room is that you will remind us when the enemy speaks, when the enemy tells us it's done, when we're finally able to realize, yes, maybe we don't have another move by ourselves that you are just beginning. But God, if you just stay in a place of prayer, I wanna talk to those who have yet to let Jesus reach down through the corridors of time and ransom you. See, sadly, as humans, we may have heard what Jesus has done for us. And it can be many, many years later, it can be right now in 2020, we're the kidnapped. And someone is knocking at the door saying, I'm here to pay your ransom. I'm here to redeem you. I'm here to rescue you. I'll be a sacrifice for you. And for way too long, some of us have sat in church and said, no thanks, I don't need that today. Maybe it's because you, you just keep wanting to do some things next Friday night and you're not ready to have to make some choices. Maybe it's because the devil is deceiving you like Eve and saying, you don't need that. I don't care the why, what I care about is what Jesus has done for you. And if there's someone right now who needs to make that exchange, the life you've been living for the life he has for you, because he redeemed you, say something like this to yourself and to God, wherever you are. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Everybody help me welcome them to the family of God. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.